Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, we are diving back into the world of religious organizations that have done some some less than stellar things. We are talking about IFB, the um, Independent Fundamentalist Baptist Church. We're going to talk about whether it's a cult, whether it's not. Miss um, Heiler grew up in the church. She certainly thinks that it is a cult. Uh, I will let you be the judge of that. It, it certainly has, has done some things that... Uh, are, are less than uh, less than on the up and up. Let's just let's just say that. But how I found uh, Ruthie Heiler is that she is in a documentary about uh, about her time within IFB. Uh, that documentary is called "Let Us Pray." Uh, pray is about P R E. So the story has to do a lot with uh, some of the the things that the preachers were doing, the teachers were doing. And that is preying upon their their followers. Um, in the case of Ruthie and, and a lot of other young women, unfortunately, that uh, that preying upon was in a sexual nature. Um, but uh, they they did more than just that. Prey upon people's emotions and and uh, and a lot of a lot of really really unfortunate things to to say the least. Uh, the difference between this conversation and a lot of other ones, and I'm going to mention it to Ruthie, is. That I've talked to people within cults that happened back in the 70s when I talked to Wendy Baker uh, about the Source Family Commune. I talked to several people uh, about the Institute of Basic Life Principles, IBLP, that of course is another documentary, um, Shiny Happy People, Duggar Family Secrets. That is something that is kind of going away. So, you know, whether it's a, a cult from the 70s, whether it was IBLP, whether it was our friend Peter Young talking about kind of that micro cult, it's cults that aren't actively probably getting new members, whether they've been gone for a long time, whether they're slowly kind of dying in the case of IBLP, IFB, which these these uh, these acronyms kind of I'm I'm surprised I didn't accidentally say IBLP here, but IFB is a is a world that's still extremely extremely active. It's a world that still has eight million followers in it, and and I don't know necessarily growing, but uh, they definitely are are not uh, not going away. So that's what makes this one quite a bit different, um, and because of that, Ruthie does a lot of, of work uh, within the that, that world, whether it's helping um, victims that have uh, have came out because of things that have happened within IFB, uh, whether it is trying to educate the people within um, the organization and at a pastoral level about some of the issues and making sure that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, it's still something that she's very active about. Um, we're going to talk about her organization that that helps in that in that regard, and that's the Blind Eye Movement. We'll talk a lot about that. We're going to talk about her story. We don't go deep into uh, her story of of the sexual abuse that she experienced because of two reasons. One, she's talked a lot about it uh, within the documentary. You can go check out the documentary. 
Uh, and then she also uh, was featured in a news article back in 2018 that's still able to be found on the internet. So rather than rehash that a lot, uh, we talk kind of broadly about her experiences, uh, broadly about what happens within IFB when young women come forward with, uh, you know, sexual abuse and uh, and what happens you're you're going to hear that the the pastors here don't do what they they should that's for sure but but yeah this is just a kind of a an overarching view of the the church and uh and exactly what it is what it what it's doing maybe that's not necessarily right and potentially things that uh, they have room to grow and and that some churches are, are trying to grow there uh you know IFB, Independent Fundamentalist Baptist. That word Baptist, you know, there very well could be listeners today that are Baptists. That's a that's a word that uh, a lot of people know. So what what makes a, a regular Baptist church um, different from from these? We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but I, this I think you'll find this one interesting. I do urge you to go check out the documentary that uh, Ruthie is in. It's a, it's a powerful documentary for sure. Uh, but uh, without further ado, here is Ruthie Heiler. I'm here today with Ruthie Heiler. Miss Heiler, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hardest question of the whole evening. Just introduce yourself. <laughs> well, hello. My name is Ruthie Heiler. Um, don't know how to inter- introduce myself, actually. Uh, <laughs> I'm an IFB abuse survivor and recently on Let Us Pray, a ministry of scandals. I think that's, I think that's great. We're going to unpack... All of that. Let's start kind of just at the the basic level. People haven't seen the documentary. They have no idea what IFB is. We've I've talked to other people in you know different organizations. So I've talked to a, a lot of acronyms before. Here's another one: IFB. What's IFB? First, what does it stand for? Second, just this is a pretty hard question too. But just what is IFB? Kind of at a at a high level. Um. So IFB stands for Independent Fundamental Baptists. Um, it's a church organization. They say they're independent of each other, but they pretty much are cookie cutter when it comes to beliefs. And a lot of them, um, support each other financially or in other ways. And so they're kind of connected and they're all across the country. And, you know, a lot of people would refer to them as a cult. I kind of uh, tend to agree with that. I think some there are good churches within them. I don't think they're all 100% bad, but the ones that I have attended have definitely been cults. Hmm. Yeah, and you you kind of said something that I was wondering too because you know in the name independent fundamentalist baptist churches, the word independent makes it seem like they're all kind of on their own, but from watching mm-hmm. the documentary and just kind of research that's not really the case at all. So are they, have they just kind of locked onto this independent word now and it's just IFB or or that's just confusing to me because they don't seem independent at all. They seem very, very tied together. Yeah, I would say they are very tied together. I think, and I'm just guessing here. I don't know this for sure, but my guess is that they wanted to look different than other organizations, you know, that are connected by name. Um, and they kind of put that independent in there to make it seem that way, but they're not. And that's their biggest argument with all of these abuse cases coming out 
is that, hey, we're all independent of each other. We had nothing to do with, you know, we're not the same, we're different. And so in that sense, it's kind of helpful in their argument. But when you actually attend them and um, listen to their beliefs and see the the background, so to speak, you can tell they're very much connected. Yeah. And so somebody's listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, we're, we're talking about the Baptist church. The Baptist church is a cult. How do people know? How do people know that this is a, an independent fundamentalist Baptist church rather than, you know, I guess anything else? There, what is there? Southern Baptist? I don't know all the different denominations, <laughs> but how do we know when we're driving past a, a church that says Baptist, whether they're, you know, part of this or whether they're, I, I guess not? Um, that's a very good question. Um, and I don't 100% know how to answer that other than from the outside looking in, like when I walk into one, um, you can just sense it by the way that they're dressed, by the way that they act. Another way is to like research their website. A lot of them will, will say they're independent fundamental Baptist on a website. Some signs outside the church will say it, not all of them. It's just, yeah researching basically and then kind of knowing once you walk in um if you're treated like an outsider more than likely it's an ifb church i got you yeah and you're talking about researching you're talking about those you know those words ifb but let's talk about your the church that i think that you were you involved with which was grace grace baptist church in gaylord michigan i think i don't know whether it's because of uh you know the documentary or They've just realized some other things that this, you know, the whole IFB word is kind of a dirty word right now because mm-hmm. I went on their web- I went on their website today and in their mission statement it says Grace is an autonomous Baptist church mm-hmm. that is not affiliated with any cult or convention. So two things that were weird about that. One, I think they just changed the word independent to autonomous just because people don't like that the sound of that anymore. Two, I've never seen a church say in their mission statement, we are not a cult. That seems like if somebody has to say that, that's a little bit troublesome. I feel like that means mm, you may be a cult if you have to say that. I don't think I don't think anyone normally says that. So I thought that was a little strange. Have you seen that? Actually, it's funny you mentioned that. Me and um, the other girls in the Blind Eye Movement actually noticed that the other day because I was looking for their original statement that they released back in 2018 regarding my abuse and I came across that on their website and I actually sent it to the group and I was like, this is interesting. Is this like a PR stunt something? Because they've never used that terminology before. Um, and I know that since a lot of this has happened too, they've become more modernized, I would say. So outside looking in, they appear to be different um, so I think the more of of these accusations and convictions and things like that of abuse come out and they're exposed, you're going to find that happening in some of these churches too. Yeah, you know, we're going to kind of talk about, I guess, the these higher levels before we we dive a little bit deeper. But I, I wonder too, you seem pretty up on things. So if this just happened yesterday, so maybe you hadn't seen it, but have you watched... I guess what, what is it? First Baptist Church is that a big one in in Hammond, Indiana? Yes. Which I had no idea this was all so focused in Indiana because I'm in Indiana too. I'm in Indianapolis, so we're we're all <laughs> it's all I guess close 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 to me too. I'm wondering the the pastor there. He he put out a whole big statement. He, he recorded it. I think it was on the the 
was it Preacher Boys? Is that is that what it's called? That podcast? I think you had been on that. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they posted his statement. And again, from the outside looking in, he said all the right things. So I don't know whether that church is modernized or whether they're just doing a really good job of hiding things because mm-hmm. because they're I, I don't know, you know, your involvement, but he was talking about how there's going to be a a protest this coming week and how we need to treat everybody with respect and that we don't condone anything that's happened in the past, which all sounds like the right things, but I'm wondering if it's a thing that they're just getting better at, you know, saying the right things or whether true changes are are happening. Um, So I would say back to the old statement of actions speak louder than words. You know, you have victims showing up, asking to speak to somebody being threatened, you know, with the police being called, Um, you know, you have people that want to do a peaceful protest and have conversations like, Hey, we're showing up because we've ran out of options. We want to speak to somebody. Can you speak to us? You know, sending a letter, um, trying to do it any way they can and, you know, not being spoken to. So another thing that was interesting to me in his statement was how he said it wouldn't be um, prudent for them to stand with survivors. And to me, I feel like ignoring the past and ignoring these survivors of abuse from within the church speaks greater than any kind of, you know, fluffed up statement they can put together, in my opinion. Yeah. And and just kind of to, to piggyback off of that, all the right things were being said when it comes to that particular statement. But thinking now, I didn't even think about this until you were just talking. In the documentary, I'm pretty sure there was a person who went to that church to talk about it. I don't think that they were they were saying the same things at that time. I'm pretty sure they kind of kicked her out and said they were going to call the cops, right? Correct. And that's what kind of what I'm referring to is, you know, victims have tried to speak to them and tried to, um, you know, resolve this. And they've they've been shunned and threatened with the police being called. And to me, when you're in the limelight and you put out a statement like that, I look at how you're acting and those actions say a lot more than a statement you're putting out when you have bad publicity. Um, Grace Baptist did the same thing when they had bad publicity when Sarah Smith's article came out. You know, they released this statement full of buzzwords and, you know, things that sound nice. But if you actually look and pick it apart, it was just full of complete lies you know, they would say things like, oh, these men are former employees. This happened 15 years ago. You know, we reported it when in reality, the abuse was happening when they were current employees and the students were going to the school. Um, There's no record of it being reported. And, you know, yes, it happened 15 years ago. But why does the time matter when, you know, students were being abused back then? So there's just a lot of statements that are released and it's just to save face in my opinion. That that makes sense for sure. And, you know, we, we kind of jumped in right on the things that are happening now. Let's take a, a big step back. And I want to know, I believe you, you were pretty much born into it, but how did your family get involved in a, and in I guess this fundamentalist uh, lifestyle? Um, so my parents weren't uh, raised in IFB. I know my dad and mom met at an IFB church. My mom started going when my sister was invited on one of the bus buses to church. And she that ended up getting 
her to go. And she met my dad at the, um, a church here in Indiana, actually, uh, Fairhaven Baptist in Chesterton, Indiana. Um, that's where they met. And that's the church I was born into. I think a lot of it too, was that they were kind of sold that this is a better life for your children and for you. And both of my parents kind of had harder upbringings. And I think they kind of took that and wanted a better life for us kids. And they kind of got sucked in that way. Yeah. And I want to kind of talk now about some of the teachings within in the church. We've we've talked about kind of saving face. And it's because some of these things that have happened are are not good. And the things that they're still teaching is is not good. One thing that I, you know, I, I pulled from the documentary is just kind of the the thoughts towards women in the church. And that is that, you know, basically that they're 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 less than, you know, definitely less than the pasture and, and less than you know, their, their male counterparts. So that's one thing that, you know, I, I really kind of hit me when I was watching the, the documentary. You can talk a little bit about that, but I also wonder just some of the other teachings that somebody from the outside looking in would think, ooh, that's a little bit, little bit strange. So it's an open-ended question, but just cover the things that you'd like to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely very misogynistic, whereas you have pastors or people in in leadership that are all men, like a woman could not ever be a pastor or in a position of authority um, because they believe it should be, you know, basically God, pastor, men, women, children. So that's kind of the levels of authority, so to speak. And so, yeah, it's very, very misogynistic. And you're taught, you know, as a young child, Basically, the whole children should be seen and not heard. They believe in spare the rod, spoil the child, basically breaking the will of a child. Um, You're born a sinner, so they want to break that will of you or out of you. And um, so, yeah, it, it just creates abusive environment for especially men that already have are predisposed to be abusive Um, It kind of gives them the feeling of they can do it and get away with it. And so, you know, there's there's men in these churches that actually beat their wives and, um, you know, say you have to submit. It's in the Bible. And it's just a very toxic, misogynistic environment. The thing I wonder, too, and this may I I don't know how much you know about this, but, you know, I've talked to a lot of people when it comes to another documentary uh, I've talked to a lot of people that were in IBLP, which is not a, you know, not a church. It's an organization. And then a lot of people go to their own home churches. Is the, do these things mix at all? Is, does, does any IFB people also, were they in IBLP? I, I don't know because it seems like everyone w- with IBLP was so the, the leader of that, everyone had to follow him. So I can't imagine that, you know, given how IFB was and how everyone has to follow them, it seems like there's, two people you've got to really listen to. So I don't know how well that works. Yeah. So I don't know a whole lot about IBLP. I mean, obviously I've seen the Duggars on television and the way they dress and act is very similar to Mm -hmm. IFB. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I believe they had, you know, like a head person in charge over all of the pastors. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, Whereas IFB didn't technically have that. There was, 
mega churches within the IFB, such as um, First Baptist Church in Hammond, which had Jack Hiles. So, I mean, there are higher up leaders, so to speak, more like celebrities within IFB, um, but there wasn't one over all of them. So I think that's a little bit of a difference there between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I don't know a whole lot about IBLP. Yeah, no, that that makes sense for sure. So now I just want to kind of talk a little bit like I like we talked about before we even started at your comfort level. Talk a little bit about just your individual story uh, within I, IFB. Yeah, so I was raised into it um, or I was born into it. Sorry. And I attended an IFB school for all of my schooling. So you're basically born into it. You go into the nursery, you go into school once you're, you know, preschool age. And so typically six out of seven days a week, you're at the church because the school is in the church also. So you're just always in that environment. And, you know, there was a lot of education that wasn't necessarily what would be, you know, typical education. Things were kind of twisted to be more on the religious side of things. And, you know, you're you're just in that environment. And then, of course, you know, there was spanking in school. And and it wasn't just spanking, per se. It was to the point where you were humiliated while you were spanked. Like, you'd have to get up in front of the classroom and get spanked in front of all of your peers. So it was a lot. But, yeah, so it was almost 24-7 in the church. And then, of course, you know, once we went to Grace Baptist, um, it was a very, it wasn't as strict as Fairhaven. They they were a little more lenient in things, but it was still the same kind of beliefs. And then, of course, the abuse that happened there. So you're taught from a, a young age that you have to respect authority and not question authority. You're not taught any kind of education um, about, you know, sex education or your bodies. And so it's just kind of a, an environment where abuse is prevalent for those reasons. You know, when you're, you're taught not to question authority and you don't know much about anatomy, anything like that, it just, it just creates an environment where abuse happens. Sure. And, and when abuse did happen, because it, it did seem like it was relatively prevalent, it doesn't seem like, and, and this is a an obvious question, but definitely if somebody's watched the documentary, but it doesn't seem like that they they did what they needed to do to make sure that that didn't happen in the future. In the opposite way, they, they actually moved people around. So talk a little bit about mm-hmm. IFB and, and what their practices was once somebody came forward with abuse because I, I assume based on how other people did it, um, that you were supposed to talk to the pastor first rather than maybe mm-hmm. the, the, maybe the police. So what happened once people, you know, started talking about, you know, the abuse that they were suffering? Cause I don't think they were doing what they should have been doing. Yeah. So it was kind of taught that anything outside of the organization wasn't good. So I remember being, young and like I would say even 10 9 10 and being scared of like CPS coming and taking me from my parents 
Um, and it's just like this thing they put into your head that if you tell anybody, you know, you could be taken from your family. And, you know, looking back, a lot of these kids were severely abused at home, just based on what they were taught and how to discipline your children. Um, and I think that was just their way of, of making these children scared enough that they wouldn't tell anyone they were being abused. And so you, you have this um, mindset of if I say anything, you know, I could lose my family, basically. Um, so that's kind of how they, they did it towards the kids. And then also towards the adults, it was, you know, you don't call the police on a fellow brother, a brother in Christ, you don't call the police on them. It's just this mentality of protect your own. And so like, if you watch Let Us Pray, you can see that my parents had a domestic violence situation. And my mom did call the police on my father. And, you know, the church basically shunned her for that. Like that was frowned upon. You go to the pastor for things like that and and he'll counsel you and, and um, you know, deal with the situation within. And so in that situation, my mom was basically the villain and treated poorly for calling the police. And so there's just things like that that happen that puts it in people's mind. Like if you say anything, especially women, you know, that's how it's going to turn out. When somebody would go to the, the pastor and say, somebody within the church, somebody has been abusing me, whether it's physically or sexually, what would what generally would, would happen? What would the pastor do? Well, I mean, I can't really speak for every pastor, um, but I can say in my situation, um, there were two other victims. So, so my um, abuser had three victims at Grace Baptist and two of the other victims had had a staff member or a pastor walk in and witness inappropriate behavior or molestation, something going on. And instead of calling the police or doing anything about it, the um, pastors are the ones that confronted him and said, you know, this, you know, you're alone with female students. This is going on. This is what they're saying, um, because I have a police report that they they admit this and that it doesn't look good. But they didn't notify parents or call the police or anything. They just didn't renew his teaching contract. So he um, finished teaching for the school year and then um, they didn't renew his contract. So he was able to then abuse me because parents weren't notified of anything. But when my mom found out about my abuse, I think it was two and a half years later, after he was witnessed with a student, um, she went to Pastor Jenkins because, again, that's kind of how it's taught. You know, you don't, my mom had already had that experience of going to police. So I'm sure she felt like I should go to the pastor and get guidance on, you know, what I do in this situation and see if he'll help me. And she went to him. And he said he wasn't surprised that this had happened. And um, he asked her if she was going to sue. And looking back, it's like, why would you ask that if you didn't, you know, think there was a problem? Um, but she's like, we need to report this to the police. And he blew her off. And so finally, she went to the police on her own. And I can't even imagine like how 
how much courage and, and things it took to go against a man of God in her position um, just because of how she was treated before. And so that's kind of how that situation played out. And he claims to this day that he went to police or went to police with her. That's what his statement was, is that he went along with the victim's mother to police, um, but he was not there and there's no record of it. Yeah. And that's something that resonated with me too, because you know, I've talked to a lot of people who have been in cults that were abused and, you know, they, they've talked to their parents or their parents are, are deep in the cult too. So they feel helpless in figuring out what to do. So it resonated with me that your mom kind of broke that mentality and was able to do what she did. So that takes a strong person. So I, I, I commend mm-hmm. her for that, for sure. I want to now people can, you know, watch the documentary. They can read the articles that uh, that you've been interviewed in to to hear more about that particular story but i want to now just ask you uh, again your your own strength and that is that you were featured in an article that you spoke more about this and when you were featured you you know people started reaching out to you and and were talking about how you know this stuff happened to them that you know you felt alone they felt alone and now it created a community so what was that like to kind of meet other people that, uh, you know, had, had shared some of the same, uh, same things happening to them and, and kind of find that community. Yeah. So I think originally coming forward, it was, you know, I wanted to tell my story from my words without, you know, anyone saying I'm not telling, you know, calling me a liar, things I had experienced previously from the IFB. Um, And I also wanted to see if there was anyone else and see if there were any other victims and be there for other victims. Um, And so when more started coming forward, it was it's a different level of healing when you have people that understand every aspect of what you went through and not just the abuse, but also the environment in which you were abused. And they understood the um, cult side of things and the abuse. And it was just an amazing feeling to know that you're not alone. And there's so many others that understand exactly how you feel. Talk about your, I guess, your journey in in leaving, leaving this organization. Because, you know, when I first started this podcast, it seemed, you know, as a naive person, it seemed pretty easy that things happen. People realize, hey, this is a bad situation and they get themselves out. That's not always the case because it is, these cults are so ingrained in people that even when bad things happen, it's really kind of easy to to explain them away or say, you know, this is just a bad person. It's not a bad organization. So it's not, uh, it's not as easy. So it takes a lot of strength to be able to do that too. So talk about, uh, talk about that journey out of, out of IFB. Yeah. So being raised in it, born and raised in it, you have this fear of, you know, losing your community and being shunned and some losing your family. And I kind of saw that a little bit when my parents separated because I was shunned in a way, you know, parents wouldn't let their kids talk to me anymore. I lost friends. So I'd already kind of experienced that loss of community, which actually made it easier for me in the future, I feel like, because once I started seeing signs after my abuse and how I was treated after that and feeling kind of like a black sheep and like all this guilt on me, 
And we ended up going to another IFB church once that whole situation played out. My mom didn't want to be under Jenkins anymore, took me out of the school and put me into another one. And we started going to another church. And I saw that it was the same. And this was my now third church. And they just were so um, hypocritical. Just I didn't feel like they treated me with love and respect like they claim they do as Christian people. Um, And so I just kind of started seeing the signs slowly. And once I started, you know, working in the outside world and, and being more connected with just everyday people and realizing that you don't have to go to a church to be a good Christian person, um, it really opened my eyes. And because I'd experienced that loss of community before, it was just so much easier to just walk away. And I still had my family. So it it was easier for me than some. I know some leave and they they have nobody and nothing. So my heart definitely breaks for those. Yeah. Talk about, because a lot of times I talk to people in cults that are long ago, the seventies, or they're on their last leg now when it comes to IBLP that they were already on their last last leg in the documentary definitely kind of put a nail on the coffin but it seems like with IFB that's not the case they they're they're still very very large so talk about kind of where IFB stands today is it something that's still growing is it something that you know it may be hard to even know given the documentary is so new whether that'll wake people up but talk kind of the current state if you know Um, so I would say there are quite a few churches within, um, I don't know a count or anything, but I do know that there are pastors that have reached out and shown support and said, you know, this is awful. We want to, to shine a light on this too. So that's a starting point. I mean, like I've always said, I feel like everyone has a right to religion. You just don't have a right to use that religion to abuse, manipulate, and control people. And so I feel like the more of these pastors that stand up against these other churches within that are the cult of it, I feel like it could bring about change. I don't know. I hope it changes. It it would be amazing to see. Um, But I just, the more and more messages and things I receive of current abuse still happening, it's just definitely feels very like it would take a miracle. Hmm. I want to talk here in a minute about kind of your organization, what, what you're doing to, to help. But before we get to that, we've, we've continued to talk about, you know, this is what I saw in the documentary or the documentary said this, let's just talk about how this documentary came about. We're, we're talking about the documentary, let us pray how did you get involved in, in that, you know, and decide that you wanted to be on it? You wanted to share your story. Unlike some of the other documentaries out there, it's not something you're talking about. That's way, way in the past. You know, this documentary kind of followed you through some things that were happening to you at that moment. So that takes some extra, extra courage and, and strength to do. So talk about how you decided to, to join the, the documentary. Yeah, so I was contacted in 2018 um, by a woman that had gone to Grace Baptist uh, with me, Um, and she said, hey, there is a journalist that is writing an article on abuse within the IFB, 
and she knew my background and my story and she sent me her information and I said, you know what? It's, it's probably just some small paper. It was in Texas. I'm going to tell my story. It'll be in black and white somewhere. Um, and, and whoever reads it, maybe it'll help them and it'll be good, but it'll be my story and my words. And, you know, cause up to that point, I'd kind of been silenced by how I was treated. And so it was just a way for me to, to basically get my story out there. And Sarah Smith was the journalist and I ended up talking to her and the article was released in, I believe, December, 2018. And Sharon, the producer of Let Us Pray, read that article and decided to do the documentary. And she reached out to Sarah Smith to get in contact with um, some of the victims to see if we'd want to be on it. And I felt like, again, as you're going through it, you don't realize how big or the potential that's there. And so it was kind of just going with the flow and, again, you know, wanting to help people and let people know they're not not alone and let people know that are still within the IFB, that there is, you know, a way out and... I don't know. It was just just a way to tell my story from my my own point of view, my words and help others in the process. Yeah. So, you know, the documentary is about a month old or, or so. Uh, what what's been the reaction that, that you've seen since uh, since appearing? Um, I would say like 95 percent positive. Um, we've had so many people reaching out to our page. Um, I'm a co-founder of the Blind Eye Movement, which is a nonprofit organization. Um, and we've had so many people reach out and show support. And sadly, we've had so many people reach out and say, you know, they've experienced the same type of abuse. Um, and so it's been been a little bit overwhelming but at the same time you know kind of lights a fire under us like we're on the right path we're doing the right thing and just want to help people yeah so it's it's been it's been good that's great to hear tell us more about the the blind eye movement exactly what it is what you guys are doing what you hope uh, i guess the future holds for it hopefully when it comes to something like this Hopefully the future holds, you know, there's no need for it at, at one point, but, but what, it, what is it doing right now? Yeah. So when Sarah Smith's article was fo- first released, a group of us from Grace Baptist kind of got together and it, it started almost like a support group. And, you know, the, the bigger it got and the more people that we started talking to were like, we can do something with this. We, you know, we can help other people. And so we wanted to almost become like a beacon to other IFB um, survivors of abuse and, and help whoever we could and be like, you're not alone. You know, we're here with you. We're standing with you. Um, We support you. Because again, when you leave this, um, these organizations, you a lot of times lose your community and your family. And so it's like a place for all of us to gather and just, just support one another. And so I think 
we didn't really have an end goal in mind when we started. It was just more of, you know, hey, we're here and we support you. But, you know, the, the bigger it's gotten and the more we've grown, I think it's turned into, you know, we want to do something with this to where if, you know, IFB churches are always going to be here, you know, maybe we can educate them on the importance of reporting abuse and, and see if we can make a change. If we're allowed to go into these churches, we could make a change in educating and, and see if we can help that way. So I don't know. There's a lot of kind of thoughts on what our, our future goals are. Um, but right now we're just trying to be, you know, a beacon of hope and support. Now that's, that's awesome for sure. You know, you, we, we've talked a lot about the, the things that were, were thrown at you early in life, but w- what's your life look like now? Talk about just kind of, kind of Ruthie in, in current day. Yeah. So in current day, I am married. I have two kids of my own and just living and happy. Um, you know, I saw justice a year ago, Aaron Willens in prison. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm at a sense of peace with that part of things. I think I still have a long way to go as far as finding peace as far as the abuse and things endured within the church through other ways. But, you know, the more time that passes and the more people that I talk to and and help, it definitely gets easier. No, absolutely. Everyone, everyone's journey is different there. And I think having that, that group that you have is, is a big step on, on finding that peace. So I love to, love to hear that just in wrapping things up. How can people connect with you? How can they connect with uh, the Blind Eye Movement? This is the time to kind of shout out what you'd like to shout out. Yeah, so the Blind Eye Movement, we have a Facebook and an Instagram page right now. Um, So those are the best ways to connect uh, with the group if you have any stories to share or if you, you know, need support, looking for help, anything like that. Um, definitely reach out to us. Um, there's a group of five of us behind the scenes that are there and can answer your questions or messages. And me personally, I am, you know, I have um, Twitter, or I guess they call it X now, and it's just under my name. My Instagram and Facebook, I keep more private just because I do have my kids on there. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you having me. So that was Ruthie Heiler. Really appreciate her coming on and, and sharing her story, sharing more about the Blind Eye Movement. Urge you to check out that organization. Should it uh, should it be something that that you feel like speaks to you, or, or something that you know you feel potentially that that uh, they they can help you? I I, I urge you to do to do that. Uh, Ruthie and and the people that are are within the organization are, are all really, really tremendous. You'll find out that when you watch the documentary. I urge you to check out that documentary too, Let Us Pray. It is on both Investigation Discovery and Max on streaming platforms. I know that's not necessarily a streaming platform that as many people have as maybe Hulu and, and Netflix, but in this day and age, I think people have all kinds of them, and, and I, I urge you to check it out It should you have Max. Definitely a documentary that's uh, powerful and that you can learn a lot from. 
uh, there's so many stories within uh, IFB. Uh, there's there's another person that I, I believe I'll have on very soon that, that speaks to an entirely different nature uh, when it comes to, to this world. So check out those episodes as well. Uh, if this is your first time listening, thanks for being here. So many great episodes in the past, even about kind of this this topic when it comes to, to cults and religious organizations. I've had people on that are in some interesting religious organizations still and that are uh, that are very uh, very committed to that and we we talk about that and have an honest conversation too uh, but not just that world we talk about um, you know we talk to people that uh, have won gold medals we talk to actors all kinds of people nostalgic people uh, from my my childhood actors and, and and those type of things so a lot of a lot of conversations Hope you'll you'll check those out. Hope that you'll listen to this. Leave a five-star review on Apple and on Spotify. Leave a written review on Apple. Even more amazing. Go follow on Instagram, Not Enough Podcast. Go follow on Facebook, Not Enough with Jackson F. Check out jacksonf.com. Lots of places to, uh, to follow along. Make sure you don't miss that next episode. Thanks so much for being here. We'll catch you next time. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.